Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of Career Friday on the Everything Accordion podcast. If you're not yet a member of my Patreon community and my Patreon page, make sure to check it out. There's a lot of exclusive content like PDF files with some very helpful content as well as exclusive videos only available to the patrons. And I'm running a special offer up until Christmas. 25th of December of this year, if you become a patron with $10 or 10 euros or a benefactor with $30 or 30 euros, you will receive a complimentary coaching session, one-on-one coaching session with me, in which we will talk about anything related to your professional career as a musician. You can also think of it as a Christmas gift to someone who might need it. So be sure to check out my Patreon page. And if you really like the podcast and all the content and you find value in it, please support the podcast. That way I stay motivated and bring new episodes, bring out new content and manage to invite also guests on the podcast. And it helps the podcast grow as well. One of the other things you can do to support the podcast is by rating it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, You can rate and review. If you're listening on Spotify, you can rate it in the upper left corner. You can share it with your friends. You can share it in your social media stories. You can share it on your social media as well. So do me a favor. And if you really like it, please support the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Everything Accordion podcast. It's a huge pleasure to invite an accordionist whom I heard first my CD, I didn't know who he was, but um, after hearing him, I wanted to find out more about him. He has a huge discography uh, with very different genres and styles and directions, which is very fascinating. And it's a huge pleasure to through the help of the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for finding the time. And uh, where are you? How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Right now I'm in Sweden, actually. I'm on a short uh, tour playing with uh, a trio. Like you said, uh, I do things uh, in kind of different genres or open genres. So, so uh, right now I'm doing uh, concerts with uh, with a trio that I play played uh, quite a bit with maybe last five years or something. It's uh, it's a friend of mine from from my student days, Håkon Kornstad who was, a, at that time, he was a free jazz saxophone player. Very good and uh, had quite a career. But then he he got many years later, I think maybe 13 years ago now or something, so he was kind of established. But then he discovered opera and he started to sing opera. And he took an education master's degree in, at the Opera Academy. So, so now he does both. So I'm playing a trio with him and... Uh, uh, fantastic double bass player Mats Eilersen. So, so we are playing opera repertoire, but in a very free and open. We also improvise, and we mm-hmm. we kind of use this as a starting point for also other adventures. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. I absolutely <laughs> love what what like you know normally like at the music academy one would think okay, I kind of need to specialize in something. So I'm yeah. going to practice that, I'm going to study that, and I'm going to do that in my life. 
but mm. what you guys are doing is absolutely amazing because you're just like um you know i got interested in opera so i'm gonna sing and then i'm gonna yeah. <laughs> then i'm gonna do like everything together now it's mm. stunning that's beautiful um let's go a little bit backwards how mm. how did this love for the accordion happen how did can you describe the first time you met the instrument mm. you know this is so many years ago I guess uh, it has become a story that I'm not sure if it's really true, but but I was I think I was six or seven, and I uh, I had like two two wishes for Christmas. I wanted uh, an accordion. I wished for an accordion, uh, but also a typewriter. I was uh, probably I don't know had some idea about uh, doing music or. Or writing. Yeah, I must have been seven because I, I knew how to write. And, and at maybe, that time, maybe you were fascinated by the buttons. <laughs> maybe. I mean, it's very strange. And also, I remember on Christmas Eve, we opened the gifts on Christmas Eve here in uh, in uh, Scandinavia, and um, I was not sure if it was an accordion or a typewriter, you know, because uh, <laughs> it's kind of the same size and uh, the sure. small accordion. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I got an accordion for Christmas, and I think I just saw it on TV or something. It was just uh, I, my mother, she played the clarinet like an amateur, and uh, and also my grandfather was in this um, woodwind uh, business. But uh, uh, yeah, so so there was some musical interest in my family, but uh, no musicians and um, not professionally. But uh, I started and um, quite early I was, uh, yeah, I was very keen and uh, interested in playing. I started on this standard piano accordion, actually. Hmm. But then when I was like uh, maybe 10 or something, nine, 10 years, the local teacher, he, well, he was not actually an accordionist either. I started at the music school. He hmm. was uh, like a piano organ uh, accordion teacher. So. So he recommended uh, that I should uh, do private lessons with a guy uh, that actually had, he had come home from Moscow. He had studied in Moscow just a few years uh, earlier. He had been home maybe a couple of years or something. So then I switched to buttons and I, I started playing for a teacher who actually had a totally different uh, <laughs> relationship to the instrument. And... Uh, yeah, and I also changed uh, teacher uh, a couple of years after that, and and had done the same teacher until I started my studies, and um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my mm -hmm. some coincidences, I guess. Well, coincidences, <clears throat> or maybe it was kind of meant to be in a way. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I I think, and I, I speak for myself, but I think the entire accordion world and community is grateful <clears throat> that you found instead of. A typewriter you found an accordion yeah. under, uh, <laughs> under a Christmas tree. Yeah. Well, just a good question. In Norway, is it more normal? Well, it's my curiosity. Like, uh, mm. are piano accordions a thing there, or is it more button accordions? Hmm. I would say there. I mean, I think there's more button accordions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, especially in the like more professional world or at the music academy, there are, there are only button accordion players. Mm -hmm. So, but there are a lot of piano accordions, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, around. But uh, 
because I remember, you know, talking to some guys at the Sibelius Academy when I was studying mm. for Erasmus exchange. They told me that normally, like, the, the accordion in Finland is the button one. Yes. Only those who play maybe, like, folk music and do keyboards or play piano take the piano accordion simply because it's easier for variety. Yeah, I think it's it's similar in mm -hmm. Norway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Norway, uh, Sweden and Finland, we have a lot in common, although uh, Finland is a little bit, uh, I mean, the language is very dif different. Norwegian, mm -hmm. uh, Swedish and Danish, we, we can speak and understand each other. But Finnish is, of course, as you know, <laughs> a completely different language. So culturally, also, there's some differences between us and, and, uh, and Finland, but but I would say the accordion tradition is, has also a lot of similar similarities also with Finland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And did this, well, I suppose I read from your website, by the way, it's one of the most visually appealing and complete websites I've seen from an accordion, so congrats on that. Okay. And to Thanks. the listeners, if you haven't seen it, just go there because it's really great. It's up to date and everything. Like it's it's really great. Actually, like I caught you that today you have a concert. I saw that tomorrow you have a concert as well in Germany with mm. you, as you were saying. So um, yeah. going to the, I imagine that you know what was it the eighties. So there was kind of like some repertoire being developed, but I suppose you were playing also a lot of traditional folk music how was it something that you kind of gradually wanted to incorporate because many times people start from folk music and then move away from it and play only contemporary mm. like did, did this love for folk music stay with you did it disappear and then come back at some point i i don't know it has been there all the time i guess but when i was like um yeah, actually, when I studied at the academy in Oslo first, later in Copenhagen, I was very keen on uh, doing contemporary music. So that started quite early. So like on my exams, I I played very hardcore uh, contemporary programs. Also, I did some transcriptions also, but but my main interest was contemporary music. But but I also got interested in the older traditional music which is more based on uh, fiddle music and vocal vocal traditions. Uh, so this is something different than the accordion music I kind of grew up with, which is more like polkas and uh, waltzes and uh, etc. Um, so it was uh, always a kind of a double path there for me. And I also, I also like to to improvise, I, I grew up with a brother who played the trumpet and who is uh, more like a jazz uh, trumpeter now. And and we used to play together every day when I grew up. So so to me, it's um, yeah, it's just uh, music is just about learning and discovering things and uh, developing things. And uh, and of course, you have to like you said, when you study, you have to find something that interests you <laughs> more and go deeper into that. And uh, I also specialized quite much in my in my student days, but I always had these other interests. And 
And today I feel that uh, trying to combine my, my different musical interests is uh, to me very interesting and satisfying. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's kind of your musical identity and heritage that kind of without having one part, there wouldn't be probably the second or it wouldn't be as vital mm. because at that point, because I've listened to <clears throat> some some of your recordings of uh, also like improvisation on mm. folk tunes or in a folk manner, mm. and they, they sound very fresh. You know, it's not like having a very, how can I put it, historically informed performance of no. folk music, but it always something fresh into it. And, you know, how do you approach such a thing? Because I imagine there would be like those who say, no, that's tradition, it cannot be kind of changed. And, you know, you just say, oh, well, you know, we live in the 21st century, so we needed a different filter, a different focus. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess you're maybe, if you're referring to, I, I released some albums last year. Um, I have an ensemble, a group called Avant Folk, which has two albums out, uh, which I played quite much with also the last years. And Avant Folk, it, it's also in the name, I guess. <laughs> um, but I don't at all consider it to be traditional music. To me, it's just, I find, inspiration in um, especially in the um, the living uh, playing tradition or the Aufführungspraxis, you know mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yep. it's also very interesting in traditional music have you uh, so so for example the my idea with this uh, ensemble is we use no written music at all so uh, this is something i have from also playing with traditional music. It's very seldom uh, written music in, involved. And especially if you play with a string player, then you, uh, you get so much uh, information, which you learn by ear, but it's actually quite difficult to write down, you know, with phrasing and bowing, etc. And I think that um, learning music like this also I mean, if you if you write it down, people would interpret the notation differently. If you hear it, you we all hear the same. <laughs> True. So, yeah. So so anyway, I just um, think it's interesting to take some parts from um, from traditional music or or traditional playing and uh, combine it with my other experiences. And so that's what I've been doing uh, quite a lot also the last years. I, I found, I read about your Avant Folk group and it's, it's like when I read the instrumentation, I was like, wow, how do you fit all of it? Can you talk a little bit about like how you thought about <coughs> such a thing and, and what are the instruments that you have in, in this ensemble? Well, I was, it's, it all started, I was invited to to a venue in Oslo, which is the, like the national venue for for traditional and well international also, but uh, yeah, traditional music and dance. And they asked me if I could be their artist of the month, and I was very surprised because I don't consider myself a traditional musician. But I guess they, they wanted something different, and and as a part of this uh, task, I could do. Uh, I was invited to do three different concerts in a month. Hmm. And um, and they would very much like something new. It, not all had to be new, but and one of the concerts they said that it could 
involve several musicians and uh, so this was uh, fantastic to get this opportunity and i i hadn't thought about it for a while i mean i've been i've been doing some my my work with uh, kind of trying to use traditional music in a more experimental uh, way started on on an ecm album called passing images which is a quartet with um, garth knox on the viola and arve henriksen trumpet and my Ratsja vocals and me. So I have I had worked in a maybe more a um, little bit more experimental way with this music earlier, but it had always been in a more like chamber setting. So now so now this time I wanted to wanted to try to to really bring together uh, like a band like you see it in uh, in jazz music or. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, with with drums and uh, bass and guitars and so that was the idea that I wanted to to try to to have like a mini big band kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, the musicians they are they are all very creative and they are not even traditional jazz or or folk music players. And so I put together a, a band uh, which consists of of pairs kind of. So it well, it's drums. That's only one player. But then there are, and also bass player, only one bass player. But then I am kind of paired with an organ player uh-huh. and, okay. and uh, also synthesizer. And there's two guitars, and they mainly play electric guitars, both of them. And there's two uh, wind players, trumpet and saxophone. And there's two two fiddles, like an ordinary violin and then hardanger fiddle, uh, traditional Norwegian instrument. So this is a mix of electronic and acoustic instruments, and it was just an idea that worked really well. So then I, it was planned as a one-timer, but it has continued now for five years. Wow, amazing. And where can listeners find the, the recordings and the CDs? Uh, well, they, uh, they are available anywhere. So, so they are in, in my name, but they are called Avant Folk and I want folk two actually the two albums with this group. Yeah, I, so I, I will put yeah all of the relevant links for listeners to <coughs> find in the description of this episode, so they can go and hear yeah. these two yeah. CDs. I'll also go and hear them today because yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I scrolled through them today in the morning for your discography. So I was like, hmm, okay, that's something that yeah. you know again, deserves the attention to actually sit down and listen to it. Yeah. And you know, I love the part of the fact that you're saying about the music that if you write it down especially like the folk and improvisation thing. It's not the same as as like the club because you would interpret it completely differently because that, at that point, <clears throat> folk music, just like I've, I've talked to one of the previous guests, Joao Baradas, he was he's yep. also an improviser. Yeah, I met him. And he said that, you know, like the, the music lives there and now on stage, you know, it's here mm. and now. Otherwise, it would be, even if you transcribed it and practice it, it would be completely different. So, mm. you know, this kind well, of music. Lives. But I, I kind of, I mean, to me, this is also a reaction because I played so much uh, written music and, uh, and uh, you know, with advanced uh, notation. And, and I really appreciate that part of music, too. And leaving uh, written music like I do in my band, it also, of course, it, uh, you have them very clear limitations. Uh, the musical material cannot be very advanced. We have to learn something which is actually quite simple together. But then the idea is that we, we develop this 
uh, further uh, together mm -hmm. with some guidance, of course. But so it's not all, all free. But uh, yeah, we found mm -hmm. a way to to do this that makes it really interesting. But I also I also mm -hmm. have some days where I I just need to sit down and you know uh, I rehearse still a lot of classical or or contemporary things and and I, that part of me is also still there. I, I mm -hmm. really need need to, mm -hmm. to sit down and uh, get lost in a score too. I like that too. Yeah, I think that's like completely well, not completely different worlds, but it's kind of two different mindsets where you're yeah. with with improvisation and having like, you know, 10 people in an ensemble, mm. you are kind of a hive mind composer mm. who starts with something and then you kind of make it, the, the complexities build upon the creativity of each one, right? Mm. Yeah. Because the material is simple, but then when you hear it, because I remember hearing passing images and it was like, okay, I like there's the um, the core, you know, it's mm. it's folk music that you would hear, mm -hmm. but then there's so many elements inside that you cannot really call it folk music. You can, mm. It's mm. it's almost chamber contemporary music almost as a sound. Yeah. Right. But mm. then probably having a composer who gave you all of the guidelines and you're you're kind of sinking into it into the score and you're like ah oh, mm. here i'm going to be following this and that probably it's recalibrating a little bit also the the creative part mm. because I, I i think you found a very how can i put it refreshing solution to the fact that sometimes you know you play so much contemporary music that you really want to kind of i don't know go and play Scarlatti or go mm. and play mm. Bach because you want the, the pure simplicity of it, but mm. the beauty is there. And, you know, having, as the listeners know, having like contemporary music where everything is well, more or less super precise, but mm. you need to follow it. Having mm. this freedom to improvise and do stuff differently is vital. Otherwise, you know, it's mm. choking problem. I don't know. I, I'm yeah. imagining. Yeah. Sometimes to me it happened that I went, I don't know, to Darmstadt or to some other course for like 10 days, 15 days. And after that, I simply couldn't stand playing contemporary music because it's yeah. like, <laughs> I needed at least two weeks away from it. I was like, okay, yeah. that's yeah. enough. And then uh, it can be good to, to not leave your instrument completely, but just do something else on your instrument. Exactly. I, I think that it also connects you. It can connect you to kind of why you started playing music or to the yeah just the simplicity that you liked in the beginning with music and uh, it was not always about learning the most uh, difficult scores you know and if if you do only that I think well I would go crazy anyway. <laughs> so. me too <laughs> absolutely like the, you know there needs to be a point where you're like what am I doing because if, if it becomes like this job this obligation that you need to do that mm. then it's already lost you know you're like mm. okay i go on stage and then i just bring whatever i had by practice but it's not like i'm mm. really into it so uh let's mm. talk if you don't mind about that your debut cd for mm. ecm with looking mm. on darkness which i think is one of those pieces by Sorensen that became uh, a part an integral part of the accordion repertoire mm. um could you talk us a little bit through the project? I guess it was 
kind of this project for your debut concert after studies at the Danish Conservatory? Like, yeah, more or less. Well, I I was I was quite young when I recorded this CD. I, I had just uh, finished my studies when I was with this was yeah just just before I was finished with my studies. I was asked by a Norwegian saxophone player, Trygg the same, to to join his uh, his band. Uh, and he's still a very good friend of mine, and I worked a lot with him. But but he he released his music, and he still does on on ECM, the German label. And so I was asked to join a recording project in Oslo. Uh, so this was in maybe two thousand or something. And this was a, a lot of musicians. It's a CD called "The Source of Different Cicadas." So it's a mix of it's a string quartet and it's a jazz quartet and and some other musicians too. So I was one of them. And I I remember the just the last day in the studio, I gave a recording of some of my repertoire to to Manfred Eicher, the the manager of ECM, who's been there since the beginning. And I, I told him that uh, I really wanted to to release a CD with uh, contemporary music, Nordic uh, contemporary music, because. ECM has also got this new series which uh, release uh, classical and contemporary music. And he actually got back to me and said, yeah, let's do this. And today I find this very hard to believe. How could this happen? I mean, such a, yeah, I, I've, I, felt, I feel very lucky about this even today and that I got this opportunity because especially at that time, uh, this really meant something. Maybe today the... <laughs> The record business and everything is is totally changed, but but I uh, I got to record and and you are right that uh, Ben Sørensen piece it was written for my debut concert and I really worked hard or I didn't well yeah I was really working to get a good Danish and a good Norwegian composer to write the piece each for my debut concert. And uh, my teachers, they suggested someone, but I, no, I thought, no, I want something. I want something even better. I want Ben Sørensen, and he was, he was also quite, quite like a hot shot at this time. Uh-huh. And uh, and I mean, he's uh, still a very uh, respected and active composer. But I have to say, I aimed uh, high, <laughs> of course, for, for a debut <laughs> concert, and uh, I was kind of surprised also when I threw uh, another composer I knew got dancers uh, to accept to do this. So anyway, I recorded this debut CD with. Uh, there's also one piece with string quartet, uh, but the rest is uh, pieces by uh, Nordic uh, composers, and. Um, yeah, it's entitled "Looking on Darkness," like the Ben Sørensen piece, and I. Well, I also, I guess, uh, yeah, Jodange Lindberg is also on the CD, and uh, and uh, I think all those pieces that I recorded there are are really great, and some of them has been kind of caught up by other players, especially Ben Sørensen, of course. And I have to say, I think that's uh, that's fantastic that it has turn into a kind of standard uh, piece almost <laughs> so yeah i'm i'm happy that uh, it has been caught up and yeah mm-hmm. people played 
I, I think it's one of the most satisfying and gratifying feelings when a piece that you commission or you play for the first time then actually becomes something that you know mm. more, more musicians play because many times it happens that people commission pieces and it ends up that we are the only ones that play them. Yeah. yeah. Which is a pity because some of the works really deserve more space and more more attention. But uh, yeah. I think in our accordion world, we still we're kind of slow on catching up with works that actually have the quality of being, you know, yeah. of, of becoming a standard part of, of our repertoire. But, uh, do you remember any anecdotes regarding Looking on Darkness or what was the idea kind of behind the... Because I remember what really caught my attention, not that it was something unique, like this glissandine on temperate mm. and so on, because we had mm. that alone already in 79, so it wasn't mm. something new. But the way it felt like, it felt like something decaying. I remember I bought the score and then mm. I, I saw... I think it was there, or probably it was on your CD, the description, but it felt like an image, like mm. a painting, mm. that slowly decays on the walls, you know, I don't know. Had <clears> yeah. yeah, well, this piece was created uh, first and foremost uh, by Ben Sørensen, even before I met him. We met and, and he had already sent me some sketches. So a lot of the pieces were like the ground, uh, feeling of the piece was already there before he had even seen the instrument. He had the, he has some kind of memories of the accordion from his childhood, but he had never written for the accordion before. Uh, but uh, when we met, uh, we tried out this uh, glissandis, and and actually what he had already composed was uh, was was working because he had written melodies. Uh, very high-pitched melodies in the left hand on this, uh, you know, this two-foot register, mm -hmm. which which is very thin and and it's not re reacting so much to to the bellows pressure. So this made it possible to keep these lines in the left hand while doing a contrapuntal or, or um, a second line in the in the right hand with uh, lots of glissandos. So almost kind of by accident, he had made something that really worked, and this. These sinking glissandos, they were very typical for his music at that time. He had he has some uh, instrumental music where he has his uh, uh, chimes, mm -hmm. his, uh, no, no, not chimes, but uh, tubular bells or what is it called? I don't know. Mm -hmm. These big uh, things, you know. And he sinks mm -hmm. them down into water. You hit them, and then you sink sink mm -hmm. them down to water, and uh, you get this. Just mm -hmm. like when you bend the notes on the accordion, mm -hmm. you know, it, it sinks and it disappears. And the title, Looking on Darkness, you can actually find it in the, you can sing it in the, like the, kind of the main theme of the <laughs> melody. Looking on darkness, you find this motif, mm -hmm. uh, which is there, and it's, uh, it's taken from a Shakespeare sonnet. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, the theme of the sonnet is uh, is uh, you're coming into a very dark room. Uh, you cannot really see is this your lover uh, on the bed or is it the ghost? Mm -hmm. It's like this diffuse uh, image. 
Uh -huh. So I think this connects very well to to Ben's music, which is uh, yeah, it's a lot about the decay, as you say. Uh -huh. And it's also very fleeting moments because, like, when you even start playing, right? Because it's kind of heard, kind of not heard. Yeah. It's there, but it's not there, and yeah. this ghostly apparition kind of of yeah. this theme because at at one point you can even say well it's not really tonal music but at one point it kind of is there you can hear the minor thirds but yeah they're very creeping mm. you know they appear and then disappear again so yeah no it's it's kind of quasi tonal music also i would say it's uh Almost, yeah, it's and for yeah. him, for him, it's he doesn't construct his music kind of. He's he works very intuitive. I worked a lot with him later also, and I just recorded a, a piece uh, for our Metrio Poing, which I also played with for many years, saxophone and double bass, a big piece by Bent with a reciter uh, with a, yeah, with mm -hmm. a poet reading and mm -hmm. and uh, with music, so. That's the yeah. That's the latest piece that mm -hmm. works. Well, that was my next question about your trio poing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because it's also one rather unique um, instrumentation for mm. trio, right? Yeah. If you could talk a little bit about how like the trio formed and what kind of music you guys play. We started to play together at the music academy in Oslo, and uh, we started with commissioning pe uh, pieces by a composer. Composers at the Academy. So our first tour was in, uh, uh, I think, 1999. We started in 1999, yeah. And uh, we had just lots of pieces by young composers. So we have continued playing together and uh, commissioned lots of pieces. So, I mean, I don't know how many pieces that exist for this trio now, but probably hundred or uh, more, <laughs> uh, big and small. But uh, we have also done other projects. So we, we don't only do contemporary music. We also um, played uh, with, had a regular or a continuous project with Maya that she sings songs with us. So, so where we kind of arrange uh, songs together and uh, yeah, so so also there we do projects with more improvisation and uh, searching in different directions. But but we still consider ourselves like mainly a contemporary music ensemble. So we, we still commission pieces and uh, I guess that's today. The point is uh, where I do most of this uh, classical contemporary music. But mm -hmm. uh, we we still ask. Uh, well, established, but also young composers, quite young composers. It's uh, so it's a nice place to to still uh, yeah try to connect to this this world, which is um, yeah it's it's nice nice for me to have this trio. Mm -hmm. We are good friends also. So. <laughs> so this is an idea for the young listeners still at the academy. If you have some friends who you'd like to kind of experiment with. Goals mm. for composition class, for composition yeah, students, yeah. ask them to write, and because it's, I think, one of those experiences that help form not only the composers because they need to hear their music how it works, but also the musicians. And if you have like an idea of a small ensemble, right? Yeah, so. I think this is very important, and I still have some. I have a lot of the same partners from when I was a student, and this is uh, now like 25 years ago. 
more than 20 years ago. Uh, composers and uh, also musicians that I still play with. So, so I agree with you when, when you are a student, you should really search in your environment. It's such a vital environment to be in a music academy and uh, just try to connect with uh, your fellow musicians on other instruments and uh, also and uh, and composers yeah. yeah and you can experiment because it's a safe environment for you yeah. to do whatever you want because you know after the academy as you and many professional musicians afterwards find out it's not you cannot do everything that you want because mm. It depends on mm. many factors. Maybe the festival or the organizer says, well, you know, I don't really like that genre or I really mm. don't like that. And your idea of, you know, I have this project which I really want to bring on stage and you, unless you produce it yourself, you cannot really bring it anywhere, right? Mm. So mm. That, that happens sometimes. I did some talks on self-management for, for music students. Mm. And that's something I underline very often, uh, which mm. is like this collaboration mindset. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how it was with during your study time, but you know, normally at the academies, there's this kind of uh, intrinsic competition that needs to be between you and the other students because you need to kind of prove that you are someone instead of like collaborating mm. with them and creating something together. Mm. And um, like that's one thing, collaboration. And the second thing is, you know, you, you never know who might become what in life. Maybe somebody mm. becomes a conductor, maybe somebody becomes a very reputable composer who needs an accordionist or an ensemble mm. in residence somewhere. So, you know, mm. it is our, to like, to all of the young listeners who are listening to this episode, I all, I cannot stress this enough. And I, you need to kind of sink in and see and try out collaborations with your colleagues and friends mm. in your studies, because it's not a long time. It's, if you're doing a master's degree and a bachelor's degree, it's five to six years max. Mm. Mm. So, you know, it's one of those things that instead of kind of like closing inside a room for five, six years to work on yourself, which is useful, but it's not essential. Mm. Right? Go, go out there, have a coffee, talk to composers, sit down, try some new stuff, because some of the things that I found out about my instrument were through collaborations with composers. I remember once talking mm. about the Glissando Non Temperato. Somebody asked me, what happens if you put like 16 foot and four foot? Mm. I don't know, let's try out. And then at one point you start hearing instead of a timbre, you start hearing one note that stays very high above and the second one that does a glissando mm. down. Yeah, yeah. That was mm. something that was very new to me, but if I hadn't, you know, sit down with a composer who asked me to try things out, mm. like I would never have found out about it. So No, that's true. It, I had the same experience with uh, with Looking on Darkness that, uh, I mean, the only tone glissando I did before that was on the beginning and end of uh, Arne Nordheim's piece, Flashing, <laughs> you know? Exactly. <laughs> uh, but then I was challenged to do much more of it. And, and I really fell in love with the sound of it because uh, I mean, that's the thing about the Ben Sørensen piece. It uh, it creates a total different sound on uh, doing all these glissandos. And uh, there's that's something completely different than changing a register or, you know, there's so 
actually quite limited possibilities on the accordion to really change the sound. But uh, doing uh, uh, glissandes or this half open uh, things, mm -hmm. that really changes the sound of the instrument. So, it all, it all so I learned a lot of it and I, I, I used this so much the, the following years yeah, uh, yeah, after yeah. I was challenged on this. Exactly, because that's something you found, you also found one extra sound for you and when you mm. employ it like yeah. in more yeah, exactly. directions. And it almost becomes microtonal music, it almost becomes oriental. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Because it has yeah. this tonal, yeah. but then it kind of is glissandy, make it so that it's it's new, it's, you know, mm. it's, it's fresh. But that's, that's, it's, it's kind of ambiguous because it's new and it's not new in a way, you know, and, mm. and that's mm. what... I think what makes the piece so fascinating. Mm. Frode, what are your some of the projects that you're looking forward to in the next month? Hmm. Well, like I mentioned, I have some some of my like uh, steady partners, which I'm playing with, doing concerts and developing things with. So this uh, Håkon Kornstad, Mats Ellertsen, which I'm playing with now. Uh, Poing, we have some uh, some exciting projects coming up with uh, also with uh, new commissions. I will play more concerts and have a new release with my Avant Folk Ensemble next year. My old friend uh, Trygve Seim, is, I would also recommend to check out his music. He's a very nice saxophone player that I played a lot with and a composer. And all different, of this different things coming up. On, on your <laughs> website, I imagine. So I'll put also yeah. like the, the link to your website so that people yeah, nice. it, it's very updated so people can go and check what's up next for you like with the concert activity mm. and um for me it's uh i mean i i actually got some funding once to get to make this website so i didn't make it myself but i try to keep it updated because to me it's also a personal archive so it's actually nice for me sometimes to to when i <laughs> I, have, I don't remember if I've been somewhere or <laughs> uh, yeah, wondering no. what what did I play there <laughs> last time or whatever. Sure, so so that's that's why this is so. I try to really fill in all the public concerts at least mm -hmm. that I do. Uh, it's um, really like a diary, and they love the blog vibe of it because yeah. also I read about the things you did during lockdown. It was very personal. Yeah, yeah and... I try to. I don't do many of those posts, but sometimes I. I write a little, uh, yeah, kind of blog-like uh, post mm -hmm. about, yeah. Yeah, and I, I find it no, really, <laughs> really great. And you know, something that I read on your website, because I know that you were teaching at the Oslo Academy, but now mm. you're not teaching anymore, I guess. You're a no. freelance musician. I'm very curious, I'm very curious about it. Ugh, how did you make this transition? Because many, I think many people are afraid of kind of having this stable mm. job and then you kind of you know say okay i'm gonna focus on freelancing and then the pandemic comes yeah and then no. you... well but to me it was uh, i i have mainly been freelancing after my studies so thin, since 2000 um but then i got this uh, well the thing was that the, the professor at the academy in oslo he uh, retired or he was going to retire I was kind of in the loop a little bit there and I guess he he kind of wanted me to to continue the work there 
And I, I did that for a period. I I kind of shared the position with another uh, teacher. So I had like a 20, 20% position. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So it was not really big, but, but still I found it, uh, <laughs> I found, actually found it a little bit difficult to combine with my other work. Mm. Uh, I live a little bit outside Oslo. Mm -hmm. It's it's not far from Oslo, but it's a little bit like living on the countryside. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, it was like um, I felt after a while that every like free <laughs> day, kind of, I had to go to the academy mm. to do the teaching that I couldn't do at another time, or yeah, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I guess, I guess I, you know, as a musician, as a, as a performing musician, you, you are not used to doing things halfway. You know, you you have you always have to do your best. You can't show up at the concert and and say, ah, oh, today I didn't really rehearse, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, you know, you 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 kind of have high standards. You have to have that. Uh, and I guess the same should it should be the same with teaching. And I felt that I still feel that uh, if I go back to teaching, I think I would do it in that case, have a, a bigger position, do it more, more fully. I think music students, they need uh, teachers that are there. That's also something I kind of <laughs> uh, discovered through these years that I, I teach a little bit that even at academy level the students are not really independent you know mm -hmm. they need guidance they need mm -hmm. uh, they need someone that uh, not they don't they don't necessarily need someone that are there every day but but you know it's it's a it's mm -hmm. a really important job to be um, to be a teacher at that level so um, yeah, it's also a responsibility of shaping them into something you know and yeah. it's and it's not only showing up and saying, oh, you didn't play that note right, or you should do that. It's also mm. helping them with the tools to actually find their own yeah. sound, their own path, their own vision of. Yeah. And, the, and, and, it's, and I, I yeah. liked, I, I liked that uh, job, you know, I, I did, but, um, but to me it was kind of a little bit difficult combination because I mean, what I really love is to is to play music and do concerts and yeah mm -hmm. and i also do some composing and I, so i have some different uh, ways of uh, making a living mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so to me this is always i i have done this for so many years so so i'm i'm not really afraid to to not have a a, a regular job i have i have done this for so many years so sure. so it's just i'm i'm used to it <laughs> uh, also it's very it's a very honest you know thing to do because Probably like, you know, if I were to tell somebody that I got a, I got a position, even like a small one in a university, mm. and then I say, you know what, I'm going to leave it because I'm going to pursue a solo career. Mm. People are going to look at me like I, I'm crazy. Or something. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. yeah, know. It's uh, it is kind of crazy. But also I have to I have to say that living as a musician in Norway is maybe even though I, I mean, I toured in many countries and like had a kind of international career, but, but 
uh, it's very good to be a musician in Norway. And for example, when the Corona started, um, this was kind of, it could have been <laughs> exciting. It was exciting times for all of us, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I, the last three years I had a work grant, which I actually got. I got a message maybe one week after the first lockdown. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so for example, this this has helped me a lot, uh, which is a, a three-year work grant, which is like uh, kind of a half uh, pay, mm-hmm. which which I uh, which I got from the state. So, so uh, of course it's it's very different in uh, in other countries. So, mm-hmm. so I have to say that that public funding and things like this is still working in uh, in Norway. Who knows for how long? But <laughs> but fingers uh, crossed, it lasts for yeah. forever. But uh, yeah, I mean, mm. no. But it's it's also it's something we um, maybe musicians don't like to talk so much about. But uh, in our field, we are we are actually de- dependent on uh, public funding in one or another way. You know, for yeah. concert, even who who are going to arrange our concerts, you know, they exactly. they are very often dependent on funding and etc. So, yeah. so we, um, we need these good uh, systems. So I think, you know, one of the things I've been very interested in, like the world of entrepreneurship and business over the past two years mm. and something that I'm also trying through these talks with and coaching sessions with musicians and students to talk about is finances because it's mm-hmm. you know we can all say that we live from music and you know mm. we do music because we love it and everything else but at the end of the day you cannot hide your head under the sand and say but you know I don't need money mm. oh. unfortunately that's a topic that's there and you know the, the less we talk about it the more huge of a problem it becomes mm. the more we talk the more normal it becomes and you kind of understand where you are you know and uh, mm. yeah that's that's something that i would really like to see more of in like you know the, the classical music world especially with the music students it's not that it necessarily needs to be everything money 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 like who pays more and everything but it's it's an essential part like everything yeah. else today in in, in this you know, cap- capitalistic system and world. So you know. Yeah, and we are. Yeah, we our field is. Um, we have a very confusing uh, position, or we are in a confused place because we are, as musicians, we are we have we are kind of part of this competition, um, market uh, thinking uh, thing, but but. We are not doing commercial music, you know. We we're not. I, I wouldn't say that what I'm doing has commercial value in itself. It, but mm-hmm. but but I'm operating in a like semi-commercial market. You always do that as a musician, unless you're employed in an orchestra or something. Then then you have your. Which is funded and, by the state, you know, yeah, yeah. unless you're Switzerland where it's funded by, by private corporations, yeah, which is yeah. still funded by someone, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. No, but I, I think that, I think musicians, at least I, I talk a lot about these things with my colleagues, uh, especially freelance musicians. It's, a, it's an important topic, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, but we talk very little about it in public. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I think it's it's nothing to hide. It's uh... yeah, I think it should become normal. Otherwise, yeah. you know, like people say, yeah, because I want to have a position as a professor at the university, and you know, yeah. it's and you ask if you ask why. Normally, it's not because I want to share and help <laughs> professionals. No, it's because it's well paid. That's why, yeah, you know, yeah. but nobody wants to say that. No, no. Um, but yeah. <laughs> no, it's a very interesting topic, and I think mm. it sh should be talked more mm. about in public and with colleagues and so on, mm. you know. So, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one last question before I let you go. Um, what would you like to see more of, well, especially in the accordion world, but also like in the music world what would i like to see more of i mean i i have to say that i'm uh, i'm uh, even though i'm no i'm <laughs> i'm not that young anymore uh, but I, I still have this uh, i'm still very interested in discovering new things and and my feeling is that uh, there's more interesting things going on on now than uh, never before so I don't think I miss uh, anything. I'm, I'm, on the contrary, I'm trying to cope with, okay. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, hearing or discovering all the cool things that are happening. And I think it's really positive to see that, uh, yeah, there's always coming new people that have the same kind of energy that that i probably had when i was in my 20s too you know you, mm -hmm. you want to like really conquer the world and after some years you see that okay it's not really that there's a lot of uh, obstacles or there's a lot of uh, things to consider but mm -hmm. to have this artistic drive that i mean that's what uh, develops things too so so yeah mm -hmm. i'm I, I don't see uh, a lack of that. <laughs> no, no. Okay. I don't see so many problems. I, I think and I think music will always be there and uh, yeah. I'm a bit concerned about the uh, about the world <laughs> today, I have to say. And uh, things I mean uh, not only the war or the uh, yeah. cl climate changes or uh, I mean the, the, all of that but also like the general uh, like the political uh, mm -hmm. terms that you see things are taking but I think we just have to you know continue with the, what mm -hmm. we are doing and I think we are doing a good thing in this world doing music yeah and I making, think like making interesting you, music you know because I hear many times from some of my colleagues unfortunately who might might got um a bit demotivated during the past two years of course without mm. support or yeah, funding yeah. or anything and they say mm. like you know who cares about what we're doing but i think it's like the audiences even if it's not like a full stadium or whatever mm. Mm. like the, the spiritual part which has nothing to do with religion right the spiritual mm. part our longing for creation for creating mm. stuff that's something that got lost a little bit because of this social impositions of staying away from one another and so on mm. and in this i find the role of the musician and the artist very crucial right now in all of this turmoil of changes of mm. wars of you know everything mm. and that's something that i think should bind uh people together and you know you might not get a thank you afterwards but you know that's kind of our 
role, I think, and job of mm. preser preserving the spiritual connection between the beautiful, the the art, and and the people, you know, yeah. the, the day to day activities. So, well said. <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah, you. I agree. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for finding the time. It has been a very interesting conversation, and I hope to have you on the podcast again, maybe when the next release comes out. Yeah, yeah. very nice to talk to you and meet you, and uh, hope to see you in uh, real life. Yeah, me too. Soon. At yeah. some point, hopefully. Okay. Okay. Thanks again, and take care. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you really enjoy the podcast and all the episodes and all of the great guests, and you would like to hear more and get exclusive content, both from the podcast and from me, consider becoming a supporter, a benefactor, or a patron on my Patreon page. Just head on to patreon.com slash Rotari, or click on the link in the description of this episode and consider supporting my activity both here as a podcast and as a musician this really helps me keep motivated and bring new content to you dear listeners thank you very much and see you in the next episode